Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And the title of the message today is Heaven on Earth. This is our next to last message in the Heaven is for Real series. Next Sunday is Father's Day. There will be a Father's Day message. And then the following Sunday uh, on the 22nd is, oh, and by the way, next Sunday, uh, dads, uh, please be here. Here's what we're planning to do. Every dad who comes next Sunday to our church, not many people are going to make you this offer. I'll just tell you right now, Corey, get ready for this. Every dad who comes to our church next Sunday is going to get mugged. Every single one. Every dad is going to get mugged. So if you've never been mugged in a Baptist church, uh, you might want to come next Sunday. Uh, You'll see what that's all about next Sunday. Uh, You'll you'll leave with all your limbs intact and there'll be no bloodshed, I don't think. But uh, everybody's going to get mugged next Sunday. Dads, you'll like it, I promise you. You will. And then on the 22nd, we will end our series on Heaven is for Real. And uh, we're going to talk about the eternal day and look at it. Uh, from the very end. This is a seven-part series. This is message number six. I remember like it was yesterday, I was about to graduate from seminary and was on my way to the one and only appointment that I would have with a church to be considered as a pastor. And uh, Dr. J.R. Faulkner knew that I was coming down to Sanford, Florida to preach for the Elder Springs Baptist Church on Hester Avenue, just outside of Sanford, Florida. And at that time, Sanford, Florida really was a country town. That was back in 1975. So it really was a country town back then. And so Dr. Faulkner was talking to me and had great interest in what I was doing. And as we ended our conversation, he smiled and even laughed a little bit. And he said, preach about heaven. And uh, I looked at him. He said, Oh, Randy, it's hard to go wrong preaching about heaven. And uh, I don't remember what I preached on, but I do remember that they uh, called me and I became the pastor of the Elder Springs Baptist Church. And uh, that was the the very first uh, church that I ever pastored. I was absolutely prepared to pastor because of my life experiences and so forth. I was 25 years old. <laughs> Can you imagine me being your pastor with me at 25? Uh, I, I still act 13 sometimes. Uh, you should have seen me when I was 25. Well, I said all that to say this. This series has been one of the most uplifting series that we have had in a long time because of what Dr. Faulkner said. It's hard <clears throat> to go wrong preaching about heaven. The title of the series is Heaven is for Real. And I did this capitalizing on a book and a movie by the same name. One of my well-meaning but uninformed Facebook friends remarked that the book was a wonderful place to find my sermons. Uh, She was talking about the Heaven is for Real book. And she said, it's a wonderful place to find your sermons. I didn't respond to her uh, because she meant well, and I didn't correct her. But you might remember from my first message in the series that I said that 
the the book and the series, the the, excuse me, the movie says that it's based on a real story, and it may indeed be based on a real story. But you'll recall that we said it wasn't based on the Bible. A lot of inconsistencies, and I'm not mad at the movie. Uh, It's just the reality is that this is just a sermon title, capitalizing on that trend right now. Now to that end, we now find ourselves in the time when there will be something of heaven on earth. You've heard me talk a lot about the second coming of Christ and refer to the rapture as a time when Jesus comes for his saints. And let me say this, most of the second coming preaching that I do is talking about that time when Jesus comes for his saints. That's called the rapture of the church. But that's really only part of the second coming. The other part of the second coming is when Jesus comes with his saints. And that is what we're looking at today, the time when Jesus comes with his saints and we will be with him if we're saved and we'll be in heaven, we'll be with him and and we'll rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Now, how many of you believe that the word of God, the Bible is the word of God? Raise your hand. All right, hold them up. You believe the Bible is the word of God. Thank you very much. And uh, so that means this, that the book of John is the Word of God. Amen? The book of Genesis is the Word of God. Uh, The book of Galatians is the Word of God. And the book of Revelation is the Word of God. So if it's the Word of God, is it true or is it false? It's true. Could you say that with a little more conviction? Uh, Is it true or is it false? It is true. That's exactly right. The Bible is true. So I'm going to read you something true from the book of the Revelation, Revelation 19 and verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one on it is called faithful, one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the word of God. So one of the names is revealed. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Kings. Lords. There's the passage. Here is the first point of the message today, and that is heaven returns. Finally, heaven returns. Here's an interesting story. In 1717, King Louis, <coughs> King Louis the Fourteenth of France died. Now, Louis the Fourteenth preferred to be called by another title. Does anybody remember <coughs> the title King Louis wanted? Louis the great. He wanted to be called Louis the Great. And he said, I am not a monarch, I am the state. And his court was the most magnificent in Europe, and his funeral was really spectacular. In the church where the ceremony was performed, his body, uh, uh, where the ceremony was performed, his body lay in a golden, golden coffin. And to dramatize his greatness, orders had been given 
that the cathedral would be dimly lit with one special candle that was just above the coffin. Larry, isn't that the instructions that you have for Susie should you pass on? Okay. All right. One candle dimly. Susie will make sure that that happens. All right. Susie is uh, with Beavis Funeral Home, so she'll make sure that happened. And you make sure that Rocky knows that he got a plug in my service, okay? All right. Thank you. The thousands of people in attendance waited in silence. As the bishop, and I'm sure that there's a French pronunciation for this, and and it's probably the silent L's, but it's Massillon, a Massillon probably, began to speak. And slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle. And he began the funeral service with these words, Only God is great. Well, God bless that priest. There's an element in our world today who acknowledge the greatness of God. There is a larger portion of the world who brush aside the greatness of God and they deny even his existence. There is coming a day when everyone on the face of the earth will agree on the person and the greatness of God. They will be in agreement. <clears throat> now, we'll be in agreement for different reasons. Some will be in agreement because we've seen it and experienced it. Others will be in agreement because they have no choice. But <clears throat> we will be in agreement on the greatness of God. And whether they have lived for him or denied him, they will most definitely acknowledge him on this great day. Romans fourteen eleven says, For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. Now, let's take a walk through the text to see a a couple of wonderful truths. And I will tell you that this first point is going to be the longest portion of the sermon, so don't get too antsy. First of all, we see his glorious presence. That is, upon his return with his saints, we see his glorious presence. While we speak a lot of the joys in heaven, and rightly so, let's not forget that heaven and eternity are about Him. Uh, We want to go there. We're happy to be there. There's going to be joy there. There's going to be all kinds of great things there. But let us not forget that heaven is about Him. And our lives today should be like that. We're told that all that we uh, do should be done to the glory of God. And we know that all of us fall short of that to some degree. If I were to ask you today, how many of you want to live all of your life for the glory of God? I doubt that very many people would fail to raise your hand. I think everybody here would raise your hand. Now, if I then follow that up with how many of you successfully and all the time live your life for the glory of God? If you're perfectly honest, no one would raise your hand. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. That's what the the Bible says. Now let me tell you this. When we are in the presence of God, when we are in heaven, when we are with the Lord, we will no longer fall short of that. All that we do, all that we are, all that we say will be to the glory of God. We will find ourselves in the middle of glory, in the midst of all and praise of God. And when the time comes for Jesus to stand again on this earth, his glorious presence will be as real and powerful as it is in heaven in so many different ways. 
Now let's talk about his glorious presence and how it plays out in this second return of this time of heaven on earth. First of all, he comes riding on a white horse. Von Seal, I like that. I like that a lot. I was a little sorry that California Chrome didn't win yesterday, but I looked at some of those horses that they had and and coming out there, and they're so magnificent. I know that horses are complicated animals, but they're so magnificent. Can there be anything more powerful and pure than the metaphor of, it's not a metaphor, just the picture of the hero coming riding on a white horse? When I was a boy, I lived for Saturday morning to see two uh, cowboys ride their white horse. I looked longed uh, for the Lone Ranger to ride his horse Silver and Hopalong Cassidy to ride his horse Topper. And they were both white, brilliant horses. It'd be wonderful if we could return to that innocence just for a little bit so that we could see with clearer eyes the wonder of Jesus riding a white horse in the clouds to reclaim the earth that he created. It's Jesus who is on the white horse. And Jesus is the faithful and true. Those two words sum up the character of Christ. In the Greek, the word uh, faithful is translated worthy of belief. Jesus is worthy of believing. There are a lot of people who are not worth believing, but Jesus is always worthy of belief. There are a lot of people that the, the way that you can tell that they're lying is when their lips are moving, <clears throat> but not Jesus. He is worthy of belief. The, the reasons for that are many, but we do not have to look any further than the second name that he is true or the one who cannot lie. He's worthy of belief because he cannot lie. Now, I don't want to lie. I try not to lie. I normally don't lie. I never really plan to lie. But the truth is that I can lie, and so can you. But Jesus cannot lie, so he is worth believing. We have known this all along, but it is visible when he comes in and he rides in. We've always known that he cannot lie. That's what uh, Titus 1-2 says, God who never lies, promised before the ages began. God just doesn't lie. He is faithful and he is true. So verse 12 of our text talks us through uh, his magnificent presence. I want to go back (coughs) very quickly and read verse 12 to you, and then we'll come back to it. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So that's his magnificent presence. All of us (coughs) have a picture in our minds of what Jesus looks like. In the movie that we referenced when we first began the series, the movie Heaven is for Real, there is a girl in Lithuania, and I don't know exactly how to pronounce her name, but I think it's Akian or Akain Kramaric, and she was born on July the 9th, 1994. She's now 19 years old. And she said that she had received a vision of God when she was three years old. That's what she said. And in her vision of God, he encouraged her to paint what she saw in her visions. And she began putting down when she was uh, four, 
uh, uh, what she saw in her visions, and there's no question <clears throat> that she has a gift. The, the picture that you're looking at was the picture that was at the beginning of <clears throat> the Heaven is for Real series, and at the end, our movie, and at the end, <clears throat> the Heaven is for Real movie. And it was, pic- it was painted by that girl. Now, I will tell you this. That is one of the most striking pictures or depictions, I'll say, <clears throat> of Jesus. It's absolutely stunning. But it isn't Jesus. Now, again, I don't criticize her for the painting. I think it's a beautiful rendition of <clears throat> what she might picture or the vision that she has of Jesus. It's really not certain what Jesus looked like when he walked on this earth. It is not certain what he will look like in heaven. However, from verse 12 of our text, there are certain characteristics that are unquestioned. Again, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Now picture this, if you will. Eyes of fire. Most people have eyes, just eyes. You know, most people have... uh, you, you may not remember their eyes. Their eyes are nice and they see through them and that's good. But occasionally, someone will have arresting eyes. Someone will have stunningly beautiful eyes. On occasion, <clears throat> somebody will have eyes like that and you, you can't, you literally can't your take <clears throat> your eyes off of their eyes. The eyes of the white horse rider, Jesus Christ, is said to be like fire. Now, I can't even imagine what that means. But one thing is for sure. When the people of the earth see him at the close of the tribulation, they're going to know for sure this is Jesus Christ. They're going to see it in his eyes. How will that be possible? I don't know. But I know that everyone is going to see it in his eyes. He has eyes of fire. What a magnificent presence. This is when Jesus returns. In addition to having eyes of fire, he has head of crowns. He has not one crown, but many crowns. The old hymn says, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him with many crowns. Imagine the power of his majesty. Imagine that he comes not only with eyes of fire and not only with a crown, but he is crowned with many crowns. How do, what does that look like? I don't know, but it's got to be impressive. It's unquestioning. <clears throat> the book says that he's coming with eyes of fire and, and with a head of crowns and that he'll have an eternal name. Later in the text, Jesus is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <clears throat> and we know of many other names <clears throat> that he's been given. However, verse 12 says that he has a name that is so special. He has a name that is so holy. He has a name <clears throat> that is so unique to himself that only he knows it. Only he refers to it. Now there's one more detail not to be overlooked. And that is, not only is he on a white horse, and not only is his 
appearance, his magnificent appearance arresting, but <clears throat> he is clothed in his sacrifice. Look again at verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, the name by which is called <clears throat> the Word of God. Now here is the distinguishing mark of them all. <clears throat> the Savior of the world is coming as the King of the earth. This is the kingdom, by the way, <clears throat> that the Jews thought they were going to be getting at His first coming. But he paid for this kingdom <clears throat> with the blood of his, his own blood and his sinless uh, sacrifice. And after his <clears throat> sinless sacrifice, then he uh, uh, <clears throat> brought us into his kingdom. And someday he is coming with his kingdom and he's proclaiming how he bought it <clears throat> with the blood of his sacrifice. When heaven returns, it's his glorious presence that returns. There's coming a day when heaven will see him the way the Jews thought they would see him at the beginning. He will come in magnificence and glory. But it's also our glorious day. Look at verse 14. And the army of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Our glorious day <clears throat> finds us coming back with Jesus riding on white horses. Now I'm not sure <clears throat> that it's appropriate to ever refer to too many things in the Bible or about heaven <clears throat> as cool, but I got to tell you, that's pretty cool. Amen. That's pretty cool. When Jesus is riding in on this magnificent white horse and there's this <clears throat> army of the saved that's riding in behind him and we're in that number. We are <clears throat> with him. Can you see that picture as he comes riding in the army? How do I know that the army is made up of, of you and me? Well, because it's of the saints in heaven who are clothed in righteousness. <clears throat> they are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Who else can it be? Ephesians 5.27 says, So that he might present to the church... Uh, the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might be holy and without blemish. The spotless Lamb of God will bring with him the bride, the church, now without spot or wrinkle. I'm now well <clears throat> into this message and have only covered one point. Hang on, there's a couple more and we will get finished. Here's the second thing. Not only does heaven return, but now heaven restrains. Here's some passages to show us what happens when heaven returns to the earth and why we will come back and how long we will stay in our final return before our final return to eternal glory. Now I want you to write these passages down. If you're not following along on your smartphone or your iPad or something, <clears throat> and where you can make notes and send them to yourself. Write these passages down because you're going to want to refer to them later. First of all, Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast, for its image and had not <clears throat> received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over which the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Three times in that passage of scripture it gives us the time of the reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. How long is it? What did it say? Tell me good and loud. A thousand years. A thousand years. Well, that actually doesn't mean a thousand years. It means something else, some people would say. Why does it say over and over again a thousand years? There is going to be a millennium on this earth, my friends. When Jesus Christ and the saints of God will rule and reign this earth. The devil has had it all of these years. Why should he not have it and we not have it for a thousand years? It's just the way that it works. In his millennial kingdom, there will be some seated on thrones who are saved during the tribulation time. They will be part of the reign of Christ on earth. And we will also be part of the reigning authority during the millennial reign. That's what uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Another verse, 2 and 3 verses you'll want to write down. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? The earth will be in a different time. It will literally be heaven on earth. Literally. There will still be people who do not accept salvation and there will still be people who do not love God but there will be no one who doesn't respond to the authority of God during that time. This will be heaven on earth. This is the time when heaven restrains all evil on this earth. Satan is bound. This is the time that Isaiah spoke of, the time of unprecedented peace on earth. Here's what Isaiah said about, and and some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. You're going to write these verses down. Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 6 through 9. This is talking about the millennium. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Did any of you watch Mountain Men? <clears throat> on, on t- I watch Mountain Men. Any of you watch Mountain Men? It's, it's absolutely one of the best shows on television. I can't believe you're not watching Mountain Men. <clears throat> it's, these, it's these rugged guys that live in the mountains, and they deal with wolves and mountain lions. and they, I mean, it is just amazing. There's coming a time where we're all going to be around wolves, and we'll all be around mountain lions, and we won't have one bit of fear. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf with the lion, and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all uh, my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover as the waters cover the sea. 
Oftentimes you'll hear somebody refer to that little passage, a little child shall lead them. And, and I understand that it can be creatively used and, and so on. And I'd rather somebody make a Bible reference that's misappropriated than to, you know, make a devil reference well appropriated. But <clears throat> what that's actually referring to is the time of peace on earth. You won't worry about your kids playing outside. No, nobody will worry about, about anything like that. And yes, there will be children during the millennium. And there will be children born during the millennium. <clears throat> and they, shall, they, they will uh, have an absolute, utopic, beautiful, wonderful life on this earth. And when those days on heaven, of heaven on earth are over, then my friend, for you and me, heaven remains. We will go to our eternal state. Revelation 21 and verse 1. This will be our text for two weeks from now. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. <clears throat> for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. <clears throat> to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now again, we're going to take up this series and finish it on June the 22nd. But there is one verse that I want us to look at right now. And it's actually a verse that I'm going to come back to on the 22nd and give you some other ideas about that verse that might be contrary to the ideas that I give you today. And, and let me just say this to you, <clears throat> that while the Bible has one interpretation, it has many applications. And there are some things in the Bible that people <clears throat> do not always agree on the exact same thing. Not what we would call the fundamentals of the faith, we should agree on the fundamentals of the faith, the virgin birth of Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, heaven, <clears throat> hell, and, and so on. But here's a verse that, that's uh, a little different. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, we have to understand when this is done. This is done at the close of the millennium, and <clears throat> there has been a, a millennium. There has been a thousand years. There's already been the judgment seat of Christ. There's been all of, <clears throat> of these things, and there's been much death in this life, not during the millennium, I guess, but <clears throat> and tears. I don't know whether there is or not. And, and we know that, that there is eternal life. And we know that there's a time when God wipes away all tears, but there's an indication here, a possibility. And I'm going to give you the opposite side of it in two weeks, but there's a possibility here 
that God doesn't wipe away all tears until the end of the millennium. There's a possibility. <clears throat> There's also a possibility that, that the other is, is that he wipes away all tears as soon as we get to heaven. I, I'm not sure about that. But I, I do know this. I know that there's a lot of stock placed in the crowns that we earn in this life and what we do with those crowns. And there's a lot of stock in how we have served God in this life and how we have prepared ourselves to serve him in the millennium. Could it be, and I'm just asking you, could it? Could it be that we might live with some level of regret in the life to come, at least during the reign of Christ on this earth? Could it possibly be? Could it be that we will wish then that we could have turned back the clock to now and become more sincere about our service for him? Could that possibly be? I sometimes say at my funeral that I would, or say about my funeral, that I'd like for someone to sing Jesus led me all the way. The truth is most people don't even know that song, but it's a great old song. Could it be that we really will wish that we could go back and remove all self-motivation and service and replace it with a proper motivation and with a proper service for him? Could it be that we will wish during the millennium, I wish that I had, had somehow another lived a life that was more worthy of crowns that I might be able to lay those crowns, more of those crowns at the feet of Jesus. There's only one thing that we're going to want in eternity. You say, well, I want to see my loved ones. You will, but that's not what you're going to want the most. Well, I want to meet all those great Bible heroes. You will, but that's not what you're going to want the most. I want to walk on streets of gold. You will, but that's not what you want the most. Betty Fell used to sit back there. She had cerebral palsy. She could hardly speak, and she could not walk for most of her life the way that the rest of us, she could never walk the way the rest of us walk. Well, Betty wants to walk and to dance on streets of gold, and I'm sure that, that Betty is walking and dancing on streets of gold, but that's not the most important thing. <clears throat> the most important thing in heaven is when we take whatever crowns that God has given us on this earth and we lay them at the feet of Jesus and we cry out with a heavenly chorus, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Could it be? Could it be that when our crowns are few, could it be that we will wish we had given him more? Could it be? Could there be tears because of that? The old song, the very old song, By and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. More, so much more more of my life than I e'er gave before, by and by when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. By and by when he holds out his hands, welcoming hands, nailed 
ribbon hands. By and by, when he <clears throat> holds out his hands, I wish I had given him more. More, so much more. More of my love than I e'er gave before. By and by, when he holds out his hands, I wish I had given him more. Jan and I now live in an empty nest. We've been living in that empty nest a long time. Every time one of them launched, we wish we had given them more. Every time we went to the bedroom that they used to occupy, we wish we had given them more. There's coming a day when you and when I will stand before Jesus. And we'll have the only thing that we have to offer, the crowns that we earned. And could I say to you that if we have a crown or a thousand to lay at his feet, we'll wish that we had given him more. I don't think there's any measure of serving success that we can have in this life that would cause us to say that's enough I don't think that there's a point in our existence where we can stand in the mirror and look at ourselves and say well done good and faithful servant. I am certain that there will be a time when we stand before Jesus empty our pockets empty our hearts empty anything that we have by which to store any treasure and only pick up the crowns that were given in this life and we'll walk to him and we'll get down on our knees we'll probably fall all the way down to our face and we'll probably hold them out like this and we'll probably say I wish this could be more. I never really thought of it because I never really saw the cross and I never really saw your majesty. I always fell short of your glory. But now that I'm here and I see it, I wish this
You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.